How important is Christmas? That may seem like a silly question to ask standing here in a church service in the middle of December. But I think it's a valid question for a lot of people this December. Is it really matter as a holiday? Uh, is it just another holiday, chance to get off work? Uh, maybe some time with family and friends, look forward to some gifts. But is it really that important, or is it just like another Disney movie? Another animated story that's really cute and has some really cute characters? Uh, dogs and sheep and donkeys? Well, it really depends on your perspective. I was thinking about that this week, and whether or not Christmas is that important, it all depends on your perspective. If you see life like a lot of people today in our postmodern culture, Christmas isn't that important. I mean, the, the common attitude of a lot of folks today is we each have the right to determine what is right and wrong. We each get to determine what is my truth, and you get to pick your truth. And as long as we have that much freedom and that much independence and no one really has a right to control us or put anything on us, we've grown beyond that, then we really don't need Christmas. It might be a cute story like Frozen or Aladdin or some other cute story, but that's really all it is. But what if? What if the world today is not like our popular thinking? What if the reality is that we don't get a vote on truth? Truth is truth. Facts are facts. The way things are is the way things are, and we don't get to choose. We choose how we react, but we don't get to vote. And I know that sounds very unenlightened and very not up-to-date. It sounds very narrow and judgmental. All of those things that postmoderns would say to me and say, you're not with it. I heard one postmodern comment, just read it online earlier this morning, come on, it's 2020, get with it. And that's a pretty common attitude. And if that is our attitude and that is the perspective of the world, then Christmas is just one other interesting story. The, the problem is with all of that is that I don't see anything in reality to support that view. And I know that sounds very closed-minded and, and whatever, but I just don't see that kind of freedom where I get to choose my own right and wrong, and you do too, and I get to make up God the way I want God to be, and you do too. And while that sounds very enlightened, it also happens to not be reality. And I don't just say that because I'm a Christian. I, I would say that, I think, no matter what, because logic just runs me into a brick wall when I try and buy that. I, I don't see any principle in the universe that goes that way. You've heard me say this before, but I just can't get around it. Gravity is not optional. And whether I decide gravity is optional or not doesn't change a thing. I'm still going to die if I jump off a cliff. 
And all the principles of life are that way. All the principles of physics, the principles of the universe, everything runs in an order. They can project where a certain star will be in 2,000 years, and they can now say where a certain star was 2,000 years ago over Bethlehem or a planet. Because it doesn't change, it's not random. And I thought about that, you know, and it's not just physics. Aren't relationships that way? I know it's not very enlightened to say that, but isn't there a reality we all experience? I think most would say, you know what? Relationships don't work if you lie. That's not optional. And if you want to say, well, I want to lie, and I'm not going to lie, it's like, okay, go ahead, but I'm not going to trust you. Relationships don't work with that. It's not optional. And so how is it that this world right now is saying, hey, we all get to pick? There's nothing that substantiates that other than we wish it was that way so that I get to make up my own God and I get to make up my own rules. The reality that the Bible points out to us, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now before we go any further, I need to give a little disclaimer here. Because I, as I worked on this sermon, it's not the way you should construct a sermon. Because I'm going to start with some bad news. And you're going to say, this sermon is a real downer. And it is. To begin with. But you see, there's such good news coming, I want us to appreciate how good it is. And to appreciate how good it is and how important Christmas is, we have to first face the reality that we're facing. And the writer of Hebrews captures it in this one verse. First of all, there is a God. And now pretty much anyone is saying, you know, there has to be an intelligent designer behind all this. It can't be random. There has to be a God. And the Bible says, yeah, there is. His name is Jehovah. And he knows everything. And we buy that. I mean, he's God. Sure, he's going to know everything. It's the bottom of this verse that's the kicker. And because he's God, he set the rules. He said how to live. And at some point, we have to give account to him for how we've lived. How we've reacted to him how we've handled what he's explained to us, the directions he's given us for life, at some point, we have to go before him and hear from him how we did. I think there is a lot more evidence for that reality than the reality we want today, that is, we all get to do whatever we want, and it doesn't matter. It does. The problem is, if that writer of Hebrews is correct, if that verse 13 is true, and we all have to give account of our lives to God, that is the scary part of the sermon. Because I don't think any of us want to have to do that. Because we are all sinners. I explained a few weeks ago when we were going through 1 Corinthians that the, the New Testament word for sin is missing the mark. 
It's the archery shot at a big, nice target, and guess what? Your arrow missed the target. And the reality is that's what God has given us in that Bible that's in the front of you in the pew. In that Bible that's on our tablet or our phone. That Bible is God saying, here's the target. You want to be a good human and get along with people? Here's how you live. Do you want to have a good marriage? Here's how you live. Do you want to work in business and be successful? Here's how you live. And God laid out all those practical directions for us. And he said, you want to have a relationship with me? Here's how you can have a relationship with me. And God lays all that out for us. The problem is we miss the mark. And the conclusion that Paul says is, the truth is we're all sinners. And we fall short of the glory of God. We, we don't hit the target that God laid out for us. To say, here's what a child of God looks like, acts like, talks, their values. This is what it is. And sure, we pull it off on some days. Some of us would say, I, I only hit it 10% of the time. Some of us would say, I think I'm up to 80%. But I don't think any of us would say we hit it all the time, every day, all day long, 24-7. We miss the mark. And we know it. We know it. As Paul says, there's the good I want to do. I don't do it. I don't know what's up with that. And then he says, there's the bad I don't want to ever do again. Just did it again. I'm, I'm glad Paul put that in there because I think we all identify with that. Say, yep. We are all sinners. John goes so far as to write in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. And the truth's not in us. Because we do all miss the mark. And that's just a part of life. In a sense, it is the test we all fail. And this is an open book test. I was thinking about that. I always loved the professors who said, we're going to have an open book test. I was like, awesome. I can take the books with me. And I, I never, would still never get 100%. Well, in a sense, God said, this is an open book test, folks. Here's the Bible. Open book. It's just you need to know someday I'm going to say, okay, how'd you do? I gave you the book. How'd you do? How did you live your life? How well did you do? And the truth is, we all are going to at some point have to say, I didn't make it every day. I didn't make it every month. And most would say, yeah, there were some years that I was missing it. I missed the mark. But the real problem is that when we fail this test, it's got lethal consequences. Paul tells us in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Now, wage isn't a gift, is it? Just have your boss say there's no paycheck this week. We get really bent out of shape because I'm owed that wage. And Paul says, yep, and when I sin, I'm owed death. I've missed the mark. Isaiah says in 59, and this is the New Living Translation, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, God has turned away from you. 
He's not listening to you anymore. Think of that. The God who runs all of this, not just created it, but runs it, and the God who will end it all, and the God who will at some point say, I need to talk with you about how you did. And we all know where that conversation is headed. We don't like that. That makes us uncomfortable. This isn't a nice sermon so far. And you know, I thought as I was writing this, I thought our first reaction is the popular phrase today, well, that's not fair. And you know what God would say? Oh, no, it is very fair. I gave you the book, and you didn't listen. And there's consequences. What could be more fair? That is what we would all say is a hopeless situation. And what do we do? How can we escape that? We can't. We are guilty. Last week we saw that as Christ returns, part of the good news of Christmas is that a Redeemer has come who will restore all of creation. And Paul looks forward to that, the groaning that we face and that the new earth comes and things are fixed. The problem is we won't be there to enjoy it because we're sinners. And we need a miracle. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's why Christmas matters. Not just because it's a cute story or there's some interesting characters or there's some plot twists that are as good as anything Hollywood comes up with. Not just because of that but because of how desperately we need a miracle. The reality of sin and our accountability to the Creator. And that God will ask us, how well did you do with the book I gave you? Did you follow my instructions? Did you do it right every day? And none of us wants that answer. And God knew that. And God knew the verdict. And God said, i got to do something about that. And so we read in Isaiah, as he prophesies what God will do, as he promises what will happen at Christmas. I want to first read verse 6 before we read verse 5. We all, like sheep, sheep again, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We've sinned. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what Christmas is about. God coming to earth as Jesus so that God can lay our sin, the, the, the sentence, the penalty for our sin on Jesus. And then back in verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserve, but the punishment that brought us peace because it was placed on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. That is the miracle, the good news of Christmas. 
that that baby that would be born in a, in a manger would grow to be Jesus of Nazareth and would one day on a cross allow himself, the, the God who created the world, would allow his creatures that he created to take his own life because somebody had to die for our sins. The wages of sin is death. And because of your sin, my sin, somebody needed to die. And God said, I love you so much, I don't want you to have to die. So I will leave heaven, I will come to earth, I will be born in a stable, I will live the most humble life, but most of all, I will allow my creatures to kill me so I can pay for your sin. I think there's one more question that we need to ask, and we know the answer, but we need to state it clearly. Why in the world would God do that? How do we explain Christmas? I, I don't think we can find a rational answer. I don't care who we wanted to line up and say, well, here's the best one we've got. I don't think anybody says, well, that one's worth, die, worth God dying for. Or we've done enough good deeds. We, we made 80%, so God ought to die for us. I think all of that, we'd say, no way. There is only one explanation for Christmas and why God would do that. Love. Love is that irrational power, isn't it, that causes people to sacrifice their lives, to, to put up with all kinds of pain, to do amazing things out of love. And that's exactly why Christmas happened, out of love. How much God loves you. You matter that much to Him. He wants you in heaven with him that much that he said, I will leave heaven and I will take on human form and I will live the humblest of servant lives and I will finally die on a cross so your sins can be paid for. And that brings us to that verse that is so well known by us. God so loved you. Please make John 3.16 personal today for you to understand why Christmas is so important. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that if you would believe in him, you may escape perishing. Escape your punishment and have instead eternal life with God in heaven, seated beside the very Jesus who died for you. That's God's wish. That's the gift he wants to give you at Christmas. And that's why Christmas is such good news. It's not just a Disney story. It is God coming to earth because he loves you so much. And he showed it. 
I don't have it on the screen, but I love that verse. Romans 5, where he says, God demonstrates his love for us. God proves beyond the shadow of a doubt how deeply he loves us because while we were still sinners, he was willing to die for us. And that death began in the stable. That's the why of Christmas. And that's why we've delayed communion till after this sermon. But as we take communion today, we would do so with the deepest of understandings and gratitude. That as we hold that bread, it represents Jesus, the baby born in a stable, willing to allow his body to be broken for you. And as you hold that cup, it represents his blood that was shed on that cruel cross as he gave up his very life. So you don't have to answer for all that you've done to God. Paul tells us if we have Jesus as our Savior, when we stand before God, as that passage in Hebrews says, we all will. We all will. But what we're told is that if Christ is our Savior, God will look at us and he will see the righteousness of Jesus. Not what we've done or not done. He will look at us and see the righteousness of Jesus and he will say, come on in. You're my child. I adopt you back into my kingdom, into my heaven. Jesus died for you and he says you're one of his. Come on in. That's why Christmas is so important. And so as we partake of communion today, may you do so, so with the deepest gratitude for what God has given you on Christmas morning. A Savior has been born to us. And his name is Christ the Lord. No wonder the angels rejoiced. And we do too. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and then we'll have communion. God, I don't think any of us would ever have had the courage to ask you to do what you did. To say, God, could you come die for me? We know we're not worthy of that gift, and yet you gave it to us. We thank you from the depth of our hearts for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. As we sing, as we take this bread and take this juice, may we do so with hearts full to overflowing with gratitude for this great gift you've given us. Thank you. In Jesus' name.